This is DRS, Broken English Gang, Manchester for life. Yo, this is TRAC. Hey, this is Colette Warren. Hi, this is Cleveland Watkins. This is Diligent Fingers. So, hey, this is Deg. Yo, this is Connie Khan from Children of Zeus. This is MC Copper. Yo, this is Inja, representing Valiant MC. And I'm chilling out with Valiant right now. You know, in tune to Valiant MC. You're listening to Valiant MC. With Valiant MC. And you're listening to Valiant MC. The man like Valiant MC. Got on the vocal. On the vocal. On the vocal. On the vocal. And you're locked into the vocal so make sure you get your dial tune you know 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 yes indeed it's that time again i am valiant mc and this is the vocal and normally i do the intro after the first track is over but since this particular tune has a lengthy intro I thought I'd get it out of the way anyway this time out we got the one and only the legendary MC Conrad and that's why it's fitting that this track is being played right now anyone that knows me can tell you that MC Conrad was a massive influence on me sonically I take a lot of cues from him to this day Uh, He was really the one to sort of teach me the craft, basically. And it was this tune, actually, that opened my eyes as to what emceeing to drum and bass could be. This is The Western by PFM, and it's the full vocal mix. And I first heard it on the first logical progression on Good Looking Records. So this conversation with MC Conrad is... Uh, actually longer than what you hear in this episode. I whittled it down from two and a half hours to uh, just over one hour. So we're going to get into this as well as a bunch of other MC Conrad tracks. But enjoy this one right now. So all my cool London family, this is The Vocal. Mine are the set, this is the move of my mellow. That's how we kept it. 
like spaghetti, move your life Betty. Foundations we laid down so many. You wake from your deep sleep, your very new penny drop into action. You was relaxing, extreme. Now you're doing the maxim. Ooh, we're beside ya, keeping you hyper. Shoot your eye to your god, I got mistakes, knife find out. All those diamond beavers grow fatter. Future patterns, tutor, flip the atoms. Five scores and symphonic spasms And babies having secret orgasms It's a wild world that we live in You step to the five like a newfound religion Take your possession, compound your vision Futurism, algorithm has risen up Yes, indeed. So that was The Western by PFM featuring MC Conrad. And of course, it would not be an episode of The Vocal without something from me. This is some unreleased business courtesy of Conrad Subs and myself. It is entitled The Get Down. Where it is going to be released remains to be seen. There are some complications with that, but we're going to get it sorted out. In the meantime, enjoy my attempt at singing. (laughs) This is the vocal. Let's go. I know you know that hurts me. You know I love you. So regardless of how I'm treated, too long I've been defeated. Now it's my time to live right. Cut you right out of my life. Time to get down and move on. Feeling so strong, I know you know that hurts me. You know I love you, so regardless of how I'm treated, too long I've been defeated. Now it's my time to live right, cut you right out of my life. Time to get down and move on. And I'm feeling so strong. Yeah, drop the needle at the snare drum. Baseline so dirty, gotta wear gloves. Yeah. Swear one, swear a plumb, it's a fair sum. Right. Like the second hand store, I got this rare one. Yeah. Stepping from the barbershop, smelling like bay rum. Yes, all the previous drama, hey, I don't care, love. Yeah. Find the free of it all, my head is clear of it all. Then all the self doubts that I had, now I don't hear one. Yeah. Last time I tried to exit out my breadcrumb. Uh-huh. To find myself right back to you, yeah, it was hell dumb. Yeah. Just to get walked all over like a bear rug. Now I'm seeing all my friends again, bear hug. I know you're happy, you're too, without my cluelessness Driving you mad, I know that I'm a lot to take We're both free, we both see the sunlight Our time is at an end, every now and then you gotta have a toast to better days I know, you know that hurts me You know, I love you so regardless Of how I'm treated, too long I've been defeated, now it's my time to live right Cut you right out of my life, time to Yeah. 
schematic remix of Hands On by Kanye West. And coming in right now, we've got Eva B with TMNMS and Alto Sounds featuring DRS. It's called Unconditional, and it is the LSB remix, and there's just no way to have a brief song title for this tune. That's all right, because this tune is beautiful. Open your ears. This is The Vocal. Thank you. 
lost in my love or let me go So many things I couldn't tell you that would kill you If you know heck keeps me safe and I'm alone Our hearts and battlefields are just getting away You're finding home while I'm declining down this slope Head down on hands free what tears are bouncing off my phone These signs are there to lead you know It's worthless being a king who sat bleeding on his throne Craving a love you'll never own Craving the one you should have told So unconditional Just another name that's written in the sand When he was trying to hold the tie back with your hand Cause I was part of every plan That's the only place your heart will understand Uneasy from the sudden change of plan If I'm broken does that make a lesser man? If it's spoken will I build a bigger dam between us? Took to the cleaners and I'm prime One day I'll tell her if I can One day I'll tell you if I can So unconditional
Or one could say, it's all about striving for situations presented with no worries. In a state of carefree. So if you found yourself living in what you call a good life, what would your perception, your definition be? Get that they can set it if it's worldwide spreading the list the way to draw the line. So you better step to me with caution to keep your health. I'm the deep beast of the ocean, the black sky stealth. So to slip into a blind beat over yours, I go for mine. And we continue to bring you ultimate high mobility cycles in life. Ultimate goals. Even a good life has its time.
Yeah, that was La Dolce Vita by L Side and MC Conrad. And coming in right now, we've got Conrad and Makoto with Merchant Blessing off of Makoto's latest LP on Hospital Records. And after that, we're going to have Makoto again with MC Conrad with their classic Golden Girl. Trying to keep the talking to a minimum this episode. Enjoy the music, everybody. This is The Vocal.
that was Golden Girl, the classic tune by Makoto and MC Conrad. And coming in next, we've got the Lensman remix of Soul Patrol by Total Science and MC Conrad. And I actually really dig this remix. I haven't heard it in a long time until I was flipping through the tunes uh, to pick music for this episode. So I hope you like what you hear so far, ladies and gentlemen. We got one more tune after this before the MC Conrad interview. So sit tight and enjoy. This is the vocal. Oh, 
Yeah, so the next one coming in is going to be the last tune before the MC Conrad interview. A classic courtesy of Lame, as well as MC Conrad and a young DRS that's entitled 360 Click. And after the interview, we've got Pursuit by Paul SG with Track and MC Conrad as well. And with that, we're going to bid you adieu. You're not going to hear my voice anymore except in the interview. So ladies and germs, I thank you for tuning in. This is The Vocal. 360 click makes you flip side to side A whole new tip rolls in your mind This time they came down Open your soul to this new sound 360 click makes you flip Ride the vibe of beats that kick Well equipped to drift your thoughts A new lesson with stress and progression Record Technological techniques in Peaking the day that all people know Of the progression existing logical So just focus your ears upon the dopest As blank twists is free beat hypnosis Closest to the musical equator An innovating infiltrating stranger I wouldn't blame you if you quit now Sat down From these sounds made to come around 
As we take you for a vow. sixty click makes you flip side to side. A whole new tip rolls in your mind. It's time to cave down. Open your soul to this new sound. Free sixty click makes you flip. Ride the vibe of beats that kick. Well equipped to drift your thoughts. A new lesson of stress and progression reward. Can you feel our flows hypnotize and while the beat straight roll with your lines and manifestations of our thoughts A demonstration so that you can get yours Don't walk, don't stop until our vibe is on the key and lock Above the ignorance you levitate and free expression is the ultimate Let me tell you our intentions, new dimensions, sensual perceptions We're implementing fragmented and then we break To catch our meaning time you must take There's, there's stories out there and certain people are enigmatic, especially when it comes to sort of the alternate universe that good looking carved out for itself for years where it was in drum and bass, but at the same time separated from drum and bass. And it's, it was this own kind of somewhat mysterious thing, almost the way metalheads was, it was his own like mysterious thing. And yeah. I think people miss a lot of the stories behind the music in drum and bass and that's what i wanted to get out there i wanted to get the stories of these people on the microphone uh out there because i think that in a way that's the most interesting part so yeah here we are in in some respect are we are we we recording right now yeah yeah okay cool right cool and then and then you chop this up and get it all the conversations start out at a strange midpoint you know what i mean so (laughs) small talk uh anyway um no I i hear your point i can I can parallel with the DJ aspect in the sense that yeah, it's it's an expensive hobby to to just adopt. When when it when it first came about, you know, I was uh, I was growing up. I must have been about eleven. I just moved to uh, I was born in Northampton um, in home county, and I just moved to um, another town in a different county, Buckinghamshire, small town called Ellsbury. Um, long story short, I started hanging out with some of the kids 
in that in that town because they were break dancing and, and body popping and you know playing tunes on ghetto blasters and one of the elder guys in the crew he could afford turntables and decks and mixers and was kind of following like early 80s hip-hop stuff you know so from grandmaster flash and dst and jazzy j and all that all that sort of heritage all the way up and i just remember being allowed round to his bedroom just to watch that you know we were never allowed to touch his setup or anything like that and just thinking well that's just out of my league you know just, you've got to get like some crazy crazy job he was he was already working left school had a job as a mechanic doing his thing you know so oh he had a shit together yeah 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 he was <laughs> he was older than us you right. know so he was he was he was like one of our leaders type thing you know he could afford to get the big expensive ghetto blaster could afford to you know blast out batteries and throw them away and get a whole new set of batteries and keep blasting and you know, all, all the things that we as young, <laughs> younger members... The batteries you know, were always like, the most expensive part of that whole thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> the music stops, the music stops. So he's he like, just go, ah, I need new batteries. And chuck them in. And we were like, wow, this guy just like... It's like 12 batteries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, all of that, that hobby horsing is expensive. So how do we entertain ourselves? We're doing, we're doing beatbox. And you know we're 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 rapping along and we're doing our own scratching with our mouths, you know, and doing the things that you do in 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 hip hop, but just literally out of out of desperation to be kind of close and connected to this new passion that we're into. But looking over the shoulders of the elders, um, and even you know the, the the reggae culture, which was another generation of guys slightly older than that. You got to imagine the guys that we were hanging out. We were like. All in, already in their like mid teens, you know, 16, 17. So there was another generation of guys in their, in their early 20s that had followed kind of sound system culture and were, were, were dealing in that. <clears throat> you know, so it, it, it was all kind of quite a, you know, strange heritage to kind of get into and go, that's what I'm going to be into. And the closest things we could, we can do was kind of deconstruct radios and, you know, defunct tape recorders and speak, hand me down speakers and stuff and kind of rig together what we thought was the ultimate hi-fi or whatever. But, you know, you would never get in close to a set of Technics 1200s without having some lucrative, like, weekend job or whatever. Well, and then, and then all the records after that, I mean, they were just monstrously expensive. I couldn't, I couldn't fathom how people were DJs that constantly record shopped. I was like, how do you afford this? Yeah, you know, I, I, just, I remember going into several of the local record stores just to look at the colours. <laughs> just to look at colours, because, you know, the guys behind the counters could spot you a mile off, but you never had no money. You know, so they were right. never going to play you what you wanted to hear, because there was none of these listening booths or anything like that um, in our stores. But, um, yeah, so, you know, literally, I'd just go and slick through hip-hop section or whatever the the rap section or whatever it was and just look at covers you know look at like a tommy boy cover or or malcolm mclaren or um fat boys or um i don't know the latest how many of the electro albums they've gotten it's like wow i wonder what that sounds like i wonder wonder if they got it on tape you know so you run over and go have you got that on tape and that would possibly be your your way of getting it. And if they didn't have on tape, 
you would hunt down the person that could afford it to buy it on like could afford to buy it on vinyl and then get come to some compromise of how they were gonna do you a tape and they might that's that'd be the same guy with all the hi fi regulars and he would have rules and regulations as to like you've gotta get a good quality tape, you're not putting no shit in my in my tape deck and some used toilet paper stuff hold thing. Go and buy a brand new T D K ninety chrome this that you know, off you go because it meant you were going to get uh, the album or two. Depending on when you buy a pack, you know, I bought a pack. So you know, if you've got any other albums, and that's how you kind of share share files. <laughs> that was the same as like pinging over an MP3 just in a in a, in a hot minute. That was kind of well, it might take you a few weekends just to get that tape. Oh, absolutely. You know? A tape, you know, there's something about cassettes that I miss. I mean, obviously the sound quality was uh, a debatable point, but I loved hunting down blank cassettes that looked cool. I liked when I found ones that were more than 90 minutes, it was like hitting a gold mine. I was like, oh, it was a hundred minute cassette where I remember those as Maxell 120, yep, or 110s. Uh, TDK, I think I had 110 that I like to use. Um, Yeah. There was just something about those that that was really magical to me in a way, and I remember I, my backpack was just filled with tapes. A selection of tapes, just in case somebody had a decent tape deck, or you could hijack somebody's stereo or whatever. We used to go into um into the into a store called Halfords. Okay. That had a se- that had a section. I'm sure there's like a, a, a Canadian or US equivalent, but it's like um you could go in there and buy things for, for camping and things for fixing your car and things for fixing your, your bicycle. And they had a section in there that had all the latest car stereos. So we'd go in there with our tapes and check out our latest tape, stick the tape in the stereo and like it was all rigged up so you could turn it up and, you know, you get, I don't know, five minutes of listening before the, 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 the sales rep was like, right, come on, you don't get out, get out. <laughs> But that was our little like, blast of tape, see how, see how the tape actually come out. You know? So do you remember the first piece of music you actually bought for yourself? Like, you know, a, like a record or a cassette or do you remember what it was? Um, I remember the tracks that I was after. I don't know what, I don't know what one came first, but I remember Joyce Sims, all in all, I've been after for a hot minute. <laughs> and so I eventually got hold of that. And... By the time I could afford to buy electros, they were they were up to crucial electro volume ten or something like that. So I jumped on the on the electro trail there. So crucial electro and Joyson's all in all. I think I got a seven inch of Hey You the Rock Billy Crew or Up Rock. That was it. It was seven inch. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was a combination of those three. I think they all came. In and around the same month of, uh, I got a, I got a little part-time job at a Chinese, Chinese restaurant. Yeah. So how old were you the first time you started getting on the mic? Um, first time I was getting on the mic, I was 14, 15. Just like doing yeah. hip-hop or? Yeah, yeah, you know, like, like we kind of gone up from break dancing and wanted to, you know, we still kind of into the dancing side of it, but we were more interested in how are they making those sounds. Right. You know, um, and that was, you know, from hearing, you know, Fat Boys, definitely Dougie Fresh to show, um, kind of made us all go, oh, okay, hang on, can, can we can we do that? You know, because they're doing that, can we, can we do that? And once we worked out, we could start 
mimicking the sounds of, of, of Dougie Fresh and, and, and the Fat Boys and, and uh, Stetsasonics, um, Human Beatbox. That was it. We could start sculpting our own formulations of song, be it bits and pieces of other people's raps and changing the rhythm and the cadence to something, or actually daring to put our own two lines together. Um, and were, were you mimicking? Were, but were you mimicking like American accents at all, or were you not even bothering trying that? Oh, no, no, totally, because that that was the that was the coolness about it. That was the funk. <laughs> That's the, that's the soul. That's the you know the, all, all these these. It's almost like hearing cartoon characters that you've grown up with really come to life. You know, mm, yeah, um, that makes sense. Black exploitation characters really kind of pushing this thing on you now. You know what I mean? With rhythm and and beats to go with it. It's all these things that you kind of you know we we grew up with like four channels of TV. So not like today. You know, it's little bits of black or, or American entertainment kind of peek through on the channels. You know, you catch a little bit of Huggy Bear on Starsky and Hutch and, you <laughs> know, maybe they put Shaft on and stuff like that. And so, you know, you, you get all little bits of how culture and street culture and urban culture was in the States. But, you know, once hip hop started coming over as a solid export and hearing these voices really relate to what was going down was like, wow, okay, that's turned the call up to 11, you know? Um, so all the all the annoyances, just stuff with, you know, loads of references we didn't understand and wanted to know more about. And yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of cool to kind of put on those, those goggles and, and um, just see, see what it was like, you know, through the eyes of an everyday hoodlum. As it were, you know? Oh, there's, so. there's a lot of that over here. I mean, if you think about the way so many um, North American uh, artists will kind of cop um, British and island accents for, you know, reggae music or jungle or what have you. Or if you look at the way the Rolling Stones, uh, even going back way earlier, would mimic, you know, American accents and music. I think there's a lot of that that comes with it. I think you're... Uh, I think it is. I think you're trying on a persona in a way and using a persona as your instrument in a way. So absolutely, you want you want that kind of lilt and feel and, and and cadence. It just it just it warms certain areas of the groove when you start messing around with 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 that. You know. So so speaking of cadence, uh, I was listening to a set that you did with. Uh, Bookham and Trace, I think from 92 and, you know, still steeped in the hardcore. Um, and I bring this up because you as an MC in the, uh, the history of electronic music, um, you've had some distinct stages of style that have coincided with the evolution of the music. Um, at this point in 92, you were still much more synchronized with the drums rather than the bass, as most drum and bass MCs will be. Um, it was very different. You were doing, like you mentioned a little earlier, you were doing record scratching sounds with your mouth and stuff that I had, I, had, I, I remember hearing uh, the set years back and I, that particular brand of hardcore wasn't really my bag, so I'd only occasionally check it out, but I had forgotten that you had did that. And I was like, oh man, I don't hear many MCs doing that really ever. And there was some things that you were doing in there that, 
I hadn't, you know, I don't remember ever hearing from you in the the drum and bass years. Um, so I wanted you to tell me how you got from, you know, kind of uh, mimicking Statsonic and the Fat Boys and all that to getting to 1992 with Trace and Bookham. By the time I kind of stood back away from my whole hip hop thing, I look around and everybody's kind of dropping acid and taking ecstasy and and wearing strange kind of raised clothes and uh, I wasn't totally kind of hooked to the house thing. I was I was a little bit into hip house. Um, I liked the techno side a bit closer to electro, and I liked what I later got to know was Detroit. I like that sound as well. But, you know, sonically I felt like just like not focusing on trying to be a rapper because by this time I'd left school and, you know, that was like in the midst of leaving school. I was like, I'm going to London, I'm going to be a rapper. And that was me set out. So I had to kind of try and find something to do. So how did you apply your uh, <clears throat> your hip-hop sensibilities to, uh, to dance music? How did you make that jump? Um, so people were experimenting and... Um, one of the wild kind of experiments that took place in the UK was the sticks and breaks in there because we just started educating ourselves what break pe- what break beats were and we kind of shortcut it shortcutted that as well because we were grabbing stuff straight off of hip hop records as opposed to hip hop getting the actual original break and and and, and using that some of the guys you know, didn't know where to get the breaks from. So, uh, so a lot of people were sampling the samples. A lot of people to- totally sampling. You know, it's like, yo, that that sounds sick. I'm taking that. You know, um, which was which was kind of going on in in the US as well to a certain ex- extreme. Oh yeah, but absolutely. At the same time, while acid house is going on, what's known as acid jazz into the rare groove scene and funk scene uh, is picking up a heavy pace within the UK as well. Meanwhile. You know, you're not making hip-hop anymore. Nine times out of ten, they'd be kind of perverted into pushing up the tempo, considering UK hip-hop was quite fast-paced anyway. It was in the 110s, 115s anyway, so... Uh, When did you first take the stage uh, in a rave environment? I started going out to a rave in Stratford, East London, called Telepathy. Right. Uh, yeah, shout out to Kenny Sting. Um, it was a warehouse in Stratford. Um, I was like going into the chocolate factory, Charlie and the chocolate factory of, of race for the first time in there. <laughs> so yeah, who, who was it that you, who was it that you actually emceed for for the first time? Do you remember? Shouts out to Jumping Jack Frost because he let me, he let me get on and do my thing in telepathy. There was a cassette tape. Let's know if I've still got it. Uh, somebody got a hold of a tape of this session. They were getting recorded, and there's me blurting out these high speed <laughs> raps at like <laughs> one one thirty BPM um, over these mad like Belgian techno breakbeat raise beats. Um, <laughs> you are uh, uh, obviously best known for being uh, partners with LTJ Bookham. Um, mm. and there are few, I think there are a few partnerships in dance music that are as iconic and, um, very few of those happen to exist in the drum bass realm. Um, and what was carved out 
by you and Danny at that time was quite unique because I think the public saw you as they saw you as existing almost in a rarefied air. The music that you played was different. The way you pervade the music was different. The way you vocalized the music was different. Uh, let's let's talk. Let's start getting closer to the elephant in the room. How did you actually meet Danny, and how did your partnership um, come to come to be? Um, the first time he came down to Ellsby with a sound from Watford and played a birthday party in the Shibi, um, which when he talks about his sound system days, that was it. Um, so Watford being pretty much a straight line towards London from Ellsbury. Um, they came down to Ellsbury and played, you know, and the, and the girl whose party was kind of raving about this this sound from Watford and how they kind of, you know, didn't play just grown-up stuff. They played kind of stuff for the young people as well. And they played some really good rare groove and soul and what have you. And that was his sound. So that was one of the earliest times. I don't even remember seeing him. I just remember, you know, Watford Posse in the corner. And then I went to a midweek event in a town in between Ellsbury and Watford, kind of bang, slap in the middle, in Hemel Hempstead. And they used to have a club event on a Thursday night or a Wednesday night. And before the club event, they used to have a warm-up event in a pub. He was spinning some tunes in there. And he was spinning some tunes that I kind of recognised from a friend of mine's record box. It was to say, well, I know the tunes that he's playing. Yeah, let me go and talk to him and see what, we'll see what else he's into. And I hijacked his decks for about 20 minutes, which was a little habit of mine, just going back to the can't afford decks. I made it a little party trick that I would rock up to anybody's decks. And as long as I could convince them to let me have a go, then I'd start fudging together and having a mixed practice live. <laughs> you know, so I remember hijacking his, his, his decks for about 15, 20 minutes before he kind of realised what was going on and said, all right, mate, enough now, and jog on. <laughs> so I remember doing that. And then in between that, there was a rave event in a small village uh, pub. It was like a starters pub for all the Ellsby ravers would go to this pub, have a rave up and then get the phone call and go off somewhere around the M25 or in London or in a field somewhere to a bigger rave. Um, and DJ Trace, he can't be no more than 16 at that time. He was playing a set in there. I remember him saying, yeah, yeah, I've just finished making a tune. What's that then? And he's like, yeah, this. Don't know a guy called Booker. That was the first time I'd heard the guy's name, but the next meeting after that, because I used to see DJ Trace up in the second room of Telepathy, and Bookham played a couple of times in that warehouse as well. Unbeknown to me, I wasn't really paying attention to his sets at that time. But I'd always bug Trace out, because he was like my main race connect to the DJ scene. Um, and say, come on, Duncan, let me, let, me, let me get on the mic for you. And he'd be like, I know a DJ that you should hook up with. Yeah, I'm going to hook you up with it. So I ended up at this rave, this free party on a farm in the, in the, in the countryside. I was meant to go and MC for another DJ in a, in a town near where it was. Driving around looking for this rave, stumbled on this other rave and realized there was people I knew, including DJ Trace at the gate, 
And he said, come in, come in. That DJ that I want to introduce you to, he's going to be here. He's playing here tonight. You should get on the mic and, and get down with him. In comes Bookham. We get introduced briefly. And by this time, you know, he's, he's got a bit of a name for himself in and around London and in the home counties. So I had heard his name dropped here, there, and everywhere. Um, so this, this free rave, we did a set together and that was what he recorded. And that was his reference to kind of going, I like what that guy's doing. If I get the chance to work with him again, then we should do. And he kind of remarked on that at the time. Let's, let's stay in touch, which is hard because I didn't have a phone at home or a mobile phone, which was the latest gadget. I think I took his number and bumped into him a few more times at free race. And we went ahead and made our union from those like encounters. Uh, and within the space of a few months, um, we got ourselves to the point that paid promoters were interested in what we was doing. And one of those paid promoters was a rave. Um, one of well, the promoters' name was Murray uh, Beeson, who owned um, Dreamscape Beeson. I was getting surname or like a, a big rave organisation in the UK, and he said, "Well, look, I'll put you on. I want to hear what this is about." From there, the rest is Booker and Conrad history. Um, you are characterized by not only having uh, a different delivery. Um, than the other MCs, but you were also the first guy that I ever heard, um, using effects on your voice. And it's the reason right. that I bought in 1998, a delay pedal to use with right. a microphone, um, which made it sound like you were on the tracks. You were not can the I, MC. Can I give a, can I give a really, not strange to me and probably not strange to some of the original guys, but to those that admire that whole forum of, of vocals and effects, we've got to shout out MC Moose. He was mm. the first MC on this circuit that I saw bringing out this little boss and he would put that on his voice. Sonically, the original hip-hop application with the Run DMC style effects in the gap, you know? Right. You know, you catch them bits with, with the effects. That was something I had on, on like full admiration, but in the rave scene, seeing somebody do that, you know, which also you've got to remember in and around that dub reggae is going on. And so that heritage of, of applying echo and effects is a standard in, in black dance music. So seeing Moose carry that tradition on in the rave scene and bringing that element with his style first time I clocked that, I thought, when I get to that level, and um, I'm synonymous, and I can afford it, I want one of them. Yeah, the first, the first MC I ever saw do it, actually, was not, was not you, it was, it was Justice, um, with Doc Scott in, I think, 97, but I had heard you, obviously, on, you know, The Promised Land, and I heard you on The Essential Mixes, and things like that, mm -hmm. so I immediately was drawn to it, because being an introvert with some, a fair amount of stage fright, I liked that my voice could sound like it was part of the music rather than like its own. Like I'm a guy. I, I almost didn't want people to even really focus on me at all. I wanted 
just my voice to be yeah. the focus. So that whole sound you you kind of became synonymous with though more than anybody. Um, I think just because you had a more consistent um, overall application of it, you are you're fastidious when it comes to how you are presented as a product out in the world. So what is behind that particular approach? Whereas most other MCs were just focused on getting on the mic, on a live set, ripping up the dance, rinse and repeat. And that was it. You totally um, took a different tact. Well, there's, there's a hip-hop train of thought in the sense that DJs in hip-hop traditionally have routines, you know, and rap crews have routines to go with them. And DJs and MCs form a unison. They make a routine, you know. Their fluidity comes from having several routines that go with several tracks and movements and, you know, to the point that it becomes like martial arts and you can do this thing blindfolded. You can finish off somebody else's line. You can, you, you know the gaps. You can freestyle in certain sections and extend them and know when to come back. You know, you can, you, you, you have full control of this thing. Not all of those ethics migrated over to race because a majority of the DJs freestyle and you're credited for feeling the crowd and just going where you want to go. That can be graded differently because to do that well, you still got to know your music really, really well. To technically actually be doing stuff that you've probably practiced a thousand times, but you leave all the options open and sometimes leave them at extra wide so you do something very different and creative and inventive there and then on the spot that's kind of the higher grade of rave djing um as i mentioned i was a, a big fan of rat pack uh ever since i lit master mark and watching how those guys controlled their sets you knew that everson knew the tracks and knew that if a certain track was getting mixed in, where that was going to drop and where he could ad-lib and call and respond and, you know, do different things as an MC. Watching that was like no nothing else because, again, that wasn't a big thing in the racing DJ-MC partnerships. And so Everson was quite a big character in my, my coming up in the scene. You know, the only other MCs visually at that time really was, was uh, the Raggatons, um, mm. who who wa weren't really doing rave MCs so much as they were doing their own PAs because they had a whole catalogue of their own music. So, you know, they were doing their own tracks, track by track by track by track, and go out and see them. And they did the selection of what they had out at that time. But joining in unison with, with Bookham and his ability to follow those, those rudiments gave me the opportunity to know what was going on musically in study. And and that allowed me to take some time with the music and leave things and bring things up, bring things down, you know? So, so and, and I think an, exten yeah. an extension of your, uh, I don't want to call it control, because I, I, I will apply that to me. I can be a bit of a control freak about how things sound and stuff like that. Um Maybe there might have been an extension of that for you in terms of you mentioned the the Raga twins, obviously, but after that, there's not a whole lot of of MCs that 
were on tracks um, at that time. And you were, uh, from very early on, you were on a number of tracks. You had the first, although it was a lot of the music was, um, had been previously released, your vocalist album was really the first modern drum and bass MC album. And, you know... That's debatable because, you know, again, you know, Ragged Twins had a lot of um, material out on their own, um, from their own stable, Shut Up and Dance. Um, Revan MC um, had his own stable, pushing stuff that always featured MCs. And while it was very reggae-orientated, you know, this was the melting pot that we were picking through that was always a hip-hop reference. The beat structure and, and, and all that was was still quite hip-hop and dance-orientated. Um, just there wasn't really a fixated rap style that was coming through in a collection of works. So I suppose that was my little... Right. But I mean, in terms, like, like I said, I mentioned, I mentioned the, the Raga Twins before, but, but your vocalist album was was still pretty groundbreaking in a sense. Um, you know, if you look at the, the other big MCs at the time, they weren't doing the same thing. GQ was not putting out an album. And if he was putting out tracks, it was one of those things where like his voice was sampled for about 10 seconds. Uh, so he wasn't actually putting out track. He was just like a featured sample on a lot of stuff. You were break, breaking this ground very early on. I've got, I've got to say, it's funny at the time, in my head, this is going to sound weird, I don't regard that as an album because, and some people will smile when I say this, those tracks were tracks on their own. But in itself, though. Yeah, you know, none of, none of those tracks were, were created with me in mind um, or vocals in mind. No, but they became associated with you because the vocals that you put yeah, to them yeah. in a live setting became yeah, iconic yeah. on their own. It was, a, it was an acid test to see if the popularity of these vocals on these mixes um, that had gone into the, into the commercial world um, and everybody would reference that track with that vocal and this, you know, can they be repurposed as content and exploited in their own in their own right. And so we did that. You know, at the same time, I had plans that, for better or for worse, got exploited as uh, logical progression level four, um, which was me doing a whole multitude of things as well as vocalising original tracks. Uh, and that was sort of, vocalist was done pre-logical in and around the same time, just to have some content and build people up into the idea that I was going to be doing long play soloist projects. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's a long playing collection of work, so let's call it an album, uh, because a lot of people will use that same format um, now, you know, and pick a whole handful of co-writes, collabs. It's an, it's an accepted way of, of getting from A to B with well, a vocal-centric album is, you know, a mixed bag of producers. Well, I think that's that, that leads to my bigger point that I was trying to get at. You made uh, concerted efforts to make sure that you, as, an, uh, as a vocalist, as an MC, um, was regarded as an artist in, an, in your own right, all, on the same level as producers and DJs, which is something mm. that we had not seen up to that point. We had hints of it from people. Um, mm. Obviously, like you mentioned, the Raga Twins and, and Rebel MC, but I'm talking... Uh, 
this is in a day and age where we are still we are still talking about MCs getting the small print treatment on flyers today. Twenty years ago, you were putting out uh, tracks. You are putting yourself out as a fully formed product long before any other MC that is doing it now. I wouldn't say they didn't have it in their minds. I think it's just how to. You know, there wasn't the internet. There wasn't a plethora of free attainable knowledge to kind of go, this is how you challenge the pitfalls of the industry into a shape that looks like it's got you as the benefactor of what you're worth. And, you know, my early days going into studios and buying studio time um, to make a track and make that track and, you know, if you can afford it again, get a vocal on the track and then once you've got the demo, go up to whatever label you can get in communication with that might be vaguely interested in letting you through their doors to play your demo or send it in and have it reviewed and listened to. All of that kind of teaches you that your work is so fragile and you need to handle it with care. And so once rave industry kind of caught on DIY out the back of a van, white label, test pressings, independent record shops, once that triggered off, because that was a bit of a backlash from the from the majors, this, this rave music wasn't getting signed, yet it was it was capable of being chart topping music, you know, in all its different forms, from, you know, big vocal garage tracks to, you know, chopped up helium sampled rave tracks, you know, Prodigy, Charlie Says, um, all of the stuff that I've referenced, Revel MC, a guy called Gerald, Derek May, um, Scientist, too, too many big seminal tracks didn't necessarily get into the charts because of the way that the industry is structured. You know, and not forgetting, there's a vocalist that's just wanting to get his voice on a track in there. The paradox of that is that vocalists are one of the high, highly regarded members of the musician family, standardly. You know, when you're looking at the Whitney Houston's and the Alexander O'Neill's and the, and the Luther Vandross's and the Elvis Presley's and the, you know, the list goes on. You know, so you're trying to work out how you stay true to the craft and you're not just a sample because this sampler can be your friend, but it's also a bit of an enemy because somebody can just go, oh, we just sample that. We don't need you to come back to the studio now. We've, we've got everything we want now. A lot of vocalists heard that back in the day. Got everything we want now. Thank you. Yeah, we'll, we'll consider that rap. We, we might use a bit of it. And, you know, next thing you know, you've, you've been chopped up and staccatoed across some massive track. And because you're just a little biscuit crumb, you're worth that biscuit crumb. And we might call you to do a PA. We might not need you. So you're dodging all them sort of bullets. You know, at the same time, rap is going through its phases of golden era into boom bap into all different guises of hip hop, you know, um, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So you're looking at that, getting like force fed down your neck and going, how can I keep that kind of persona you know, up in the LL Cool J zone, the, 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 
the, the Puff Daddy's own uh, the two pack. How do I how do I maintain that integrity in this like grassroots version of hip hop? How do I do that? So that's a struggle that goes on in all of that. Um, there was a massive debate whether the vocalist would work as a piece of vinyl and whether people would actually want to play a vocal drum and bass track. You know, um, that was a debate. Yeah, that was that was in my camp. This is the company that's saying, yeah, we're going to put this out. Shall we actually put it out on vinyl? Should we just keep it on CD and let people just listen to it? Who's going to play that on vinyl? What? Why would they play that on vinyl? You know, it's like crazy to think about that now. You know, but that was a big thing. You know, and, and vinyl won because certain DJs stood up and said, well, there's only one MC Conrad, and when you want a bit of that flavour, as we all would like to have, apparently. Um, you can just spin that and play that tune and you've got him in a race. It's kind of just add water Conrad factor. So <laughs> that kind of won the vote. <laughs> that kind of won the vote, like, luckily for me. But had it gone the other way, then it would have taken the turnaround of DJs playing CDs to bring that into the arena of listening in, a, in, a, in an actual club rave environment so there was a struggle internally on all counts you know there there was a lot of struggles just internally just because of the way the industry kind of regarded MC's additional vocalists around uh, the first progression sessions CD um, that was the first time I had ever heard you your your style had changed again you went from you know around the time of the essential mixes uh, you know a lot of eight bar rhymes a lot of one liners um, going to the promised land, they expanded to 16 bars, uh, more complex rhymes. Um, and then, uh, you know, there, that was expanded more when DRS came in for a logical progression too. And then progression sessions hit and a lot of people, because, you know, there was no internet at the time to really, um, keep track of people. And when I heard it, I was surprised because your style had changed. You were starting to like, uh, deliver your rhymes uh, a lot of times in like a sing song method and you weren't quite fully singing yet, but you were almost there and you were getting a lot more into singing. I mean, obviously like, you know, you're, you're very well known for golden girl, uh, something that you sing. So what kind of prompted that, uh, sort of evolution into starting to sing? Um, it was a lot of thi- at the time it felt like a lot of different things because I, by that time I kind of, I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder about my hip-hop past because, you know, it felt like I hadn't accomplished. So I had this axe to grind within what I was doing and, you know, I had my own lane, you know, I'm, I'm getting accepted to spit hip-hop style bars over a different kind of groove. So that was cool, but that made me have very kind of blinkered vision, very focused on what I was going for. And every so often... I would kind of look over these blinkers and check out the landscape of other other bits of music, not wanting to get too influenced, but stay very in touch with the left field and influential kind of creative jazz side of hip hop, which was quite affluent then, you know, um, and stuff that would, would fall in line with what I was kind of digging happened to be, and I, I, I kind of watched a documentary 
um, on, on Netflix um, about the particular era all come from that whole freestyle fellowship foundation. Oh, yeah. I just watched that a few weeks ago, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, so, and, and so hearing those guys up, scaling up and down for whatever reason, hearing that and catching bits and pieces flooding in from kind of music that Bookham was picking up. So I would just tap into that and think, how does that migrate into what what's going on here? Because there's a lot of chords, black notes, pads, you know, melodies. The bass line's quite melodious, you know, and there's a lot of beat technology. So massive playground, untouched. I always say it's not just to myself sometimes, especially in interviews, that I'm grateful for the arena that I've had, that I've had, and that I have, because unbeknown to a lot of people, I'm experimenting when I go out there. And to be able to be given a stage and acceptance for doing that, that's a massive thing and a great thing to be regarded for somebody, you know, that can please quite a lot of it. That's what that's where that comes from. The long way around. So, progression sessions was a, a very successful series. Um, mm. Again, uh, good looking was uh, its own universe, um, and that ended. Um, mm. I and I can't honestly, I cannot remember the the time frame. Um, a lot of people had a lot to say about it. Uh, this is, of course, when the internet was. Uh, rapidly expanding as the, uh, mm-hmm. the the dominant form of communication, so everyone had something yeah. to say about it. Um, I'm yeah. not going to uh, uh, badger you for details, but uh, what what was your perspective on the split between you and Danny? Um, and um, do you think that it had something to do with uh, the eventual disillusion of Good Looking Altogether? Um. Yes. Overdue. Overdue. So what was overdue? The split. That partnership has run its course um, of events. To maintain it, we would be just massaging some toxic energies. Not good. Do you feel like there was chatter um, that you were kind of... You felt in a way... Slighted in some respects? In some respects, in a lot of respects. Not loads of respects. Pay structure. Um, the flyers will tell an interesting story, you know, as we're talking about the, the, the things that in 2019, Ninja and DRS are highlighting in their talks whilst they're setting awards about the, the MC not getting the, the credits. If you start looking at the, the back end, of that partnership when progression sessions had come to an end and it become booking sessions. You look at where my, my name's been placed and this is within my own stable. I'm experiencing that same that same trip. Do you know what I'm saying? On my own on my own flyers. Quite mad. There was and a lot of the ex artists will be knowledgeable about this and some of the some of the ravens as well. Um, there was a financial structure within that company that was you was never gonna gain. But how much how um, much of that was Tony Fordham's fault and how much do you credit to it being at the I hand of Danny? Fault. I wouldn't 
call it a fault if I was Tony Fordham. Put it that way, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it's all a matter of opinion and perspective, isn't it? You know, um, he did he did quite well. <laughs> so, so he's probably tuned in, going, oh, "No fault, that was on purpose." <laughs> you know, um, you know, because it's mad. I'm sitting there today, archive. A lot of CD content from the label for the first time, um, because um, yeah, I just want to be able to you know, play some of that music out if I want to, and it's all digital these days. So you know, I'm ripping a lot of these CDs um, as opposed to having to to rip it off a of vinyl. However, just looking at that production and looking at it right now, it's on the edge of my studio desk. It's near on genius what's gone on there. And the fact that other parties involved haven't been able to even go near picking up the baton and going, well, it's going to carry on. I'm going to keep it going. Just shows you the, the, the mind that was able to create that empire, first of all. So while it's like a double-edged sword and, you know, changed a lot of people's lives for not good, not good, not good episodes. You know, right. Well, there were some um, high profile, high profile splits in the uh, the good looking camp yeah, yeah, uh, through the yeah, years. You know, so. I I suffered and still do to this day um, post traumatic stress disorder from that era. So the, the the afterburn of those journeys, it's not good. But well, I mean, in the flux, you know, Dell Dell had in, said that in one of our interviews that. You know, he he left and went to work at a pizza shop because he didn't have any money. He didn't have any money. So, is that kind of a he's similar not, situation not. in your end? Well, I know I know some of Dell's plight after because uh, we have stayed, you know, fairly close communications and reached to each other. Um, and I know he needed to support his family because those were some of the pressures that were being played against him. And right. the industry trick in any industry. Oh, absolutely. I was going to say that's been happening to yeah. artists and record labels for yeah. decades. Yeah. Who, who, who has the right to stop love and, and new life? So when somebody's playing that on you, I can understand why Dell had to exit, um, but still think about how he was going to um, maintain his, his position as a father. So I get that survival move. Um, I had, had several nervous breakdowns. And found myself very strange domestic situation, uh, living with my father for the first time round ever in 40 plus years here in Birmingham. Um, so yeah, I've had a bit of a mad journey. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that one day. Maybe we'll do another interview. I'll talk about that in itself. That was a, a whole revelation of, of interesting things about my discovery of who, who the hell I was. What I've learned about myself, but importantly about my dad, that, that contributes to attributes in me naturally, but just in the most profound way. And there's still things that I'm discovering now about my family. And yeah, so the split overdue couldn't have happened at a better time. You know, I saw something online the other day that I kind of that resonates with me quite well. Is what's meant for you will never ever miss you. The things in life that are meant for you, they're going to come exactly at the perfect time. 
you know, that there's a lot of lessons to be learned in that. Look, Danny's been touring as uh, a legacy DJ for a few years now. Um, mm. And kind of from an outsider's perspective and after hearing about the way the company had been run, it seems a little bit like a goodwill tour in a way. I just want to know if you think there will ever be any kind of patching up of that relationship in the future. Um, I'm not I'm not making plans for that because I can't tell you what's actually going to happen tomorrow, but I'm not planning or wishing that upon myself or him that that me in, in where my perspective is because I'm not focused on bringing the greater good to that situation. You know, that's had a portion of me that I feel people are well over full, beyond full, brimming with memories, soundscapes, events to remark and reflect on that. Um, and I don't see where I'm at in my life right now running parallel with anything that reflects that past. And I've only got that past to refer to because I don't know what, you know, what, what, what his sonical vision is now and I don't care to know. Do you know what I mean? I don't care to know. I'm having so much more 4K HD experience of my own, you know? <laughs> life is happening um, already. You don't need more life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm having fun. There's, there's yeah. Sometimes the grass is greener, man. And if it ain't greener, it's purple. And that's quite cool as well. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you ever cross paths? <laughs> I mean, England is small, man. I, you know. Yeah, yeah. We we pass like ships in the night. We pass. Is there any we communication? Do you give each other the, the nod, or is it? No, nope, no. Nope. I don't. I don't. I don't make beelines towards him. It's just like you say. The scene's small, so you know you can't avoid the presence sometimes. But I don't. I don't head towards. I don't head towards people. So since the yeah, split. Yeah, um, you have uh, you kind of went to the the con natural moniker for a while. Um, what was behind mm. what was behind that? Tony Fordham had access administration right to my MC Conrad page, and because you know we were we were experimenting with administration rights. You know this was a whole new thing in Facebook building a Facebook page, and you know I still practice it now. I've got a team of people around me that help me with maintaining my brand. I think, I think you know, every artist trying to get towards success should have something like that and will have something like that because it's very hard to do all of these things that need to be done on, on the right and good looking being good looking. Uh, Cause I could spend hours with Tony talking tech, futuristic ideas, concepts, whatnot. You know, he'd then be able to exploit to some sort of, creative benefit that we'd appreciate and commercial benefit that he would you know, benefit from. However, um, I've, I've given him admin rods in, in my page. Um, with the split and things that spun off from that, i.e. my private life and my domestic life and my family life that that affected, thus bringing me to having to relocate immediately into Birmingham. He's shut me out of my page, which is a long story short, because um, I ended up having a domestic altercation 
with the mother of my son based on one of the, a lot of other things, including my income at that time. So that led to me getting uh, um, some form of a, of a police record. Um, that so that's that's put a big question mark over me being able to cross certain borders. On on the flip of a coin, um, it was decided that I should run the gauntlet. I ran the gauntlet. I got sent back on the border in Asia, and um, that's where I decided that I should not carry on pursuing the, this work. Um, and from there, that then spurred Tony to say, well, you know what? I'm going to grab what I can content-wise off of you now because your days are numbered, which to me was music to my ears. You know, I obviously didn't want him to run away with my name. But at the same time, I thought, well, take that because I'll just make another name and I'll be that. You have that name to do what with. You need the voice to, to do something with that name. You can't just... Let's see how you last. So I come up with Con Natural. Um, I like what it meant. I like how it sounded. That gave me the opportunity to, I suppose, work with promoters on a different tier. It's like going down a, a division a bit and saying, look, you're still going to get the sound, but because you're going to have to promote this new name, let's, let's talk about that because you're not able to use the name MC Conrad. So promoters that sort of, went with their ear and not necessarily just what's on the flyer could actually go, do you know what, you're right, you know, because I've got other artists that are going to guarantee that event's going to be busy. People are going to ask questions about Con Natural. That gives me a promotion of an angle with you. And once they're in there, they're going to hear it's you and connect. And we've done that at a lower rate or what appears to be a lower rate because I'm not being booked as that package anymore that was up in different sorts of four-figure uh, demands and, and commands. You know, you're dealing directly with me. And for better or for worse, you've got a bit more of a realistic price. So it was refreshing to just get myself away from the from the shackles. Once there was a demise of the company itself, it appeared that my um, name was able to use. I heard whispers. Uh. That wasn't being held onto anymore. So I... I just started using it and went on from there. And, you know, that gave me another angle to my brand and used Con Natural as a umbrella creative development pool hmm. experiments again. So, you know, I started podcasting with it. And, you know. Given, given the current, uh, the current climate of the day, is there anything that you want to say regarding your domestic altercation? So I don't well, know if there's anything you want to say about it or are you good just letting it lie? No, I'll, I'll, I will talk um, about that, you know, because um, domestic violence um, and altercations come from somewhere. They don't just come out of you say yes, I say no. No, they come from somewhere. And what I've discovered since that altercation is that I suffer post-traumatic stress disorder from a variety of things connected with my career and connected with um, how, I, how I grew up. Um, also discovered that I suffered depression. Also discovered that I have um, some form of ADHD and autism. Um, like I said, everything happens for a reason. So I think the people that you meet in life happen for a reason. And as harsh as it may sound, this was part of 
the discovery of who I was, not to say that that excuses the use of offensive behaviour, but these are the extremes that you get pushed to bring these things out, you know. Um, creativity isn't always a good thing because it can also um, it can also push aside things that go past undealt with sometimes. Your response might not be the, the, the correct response because you're dealing with a variety of emotions and feelings and what feel like knee-jerk reactions in defense and um, because of behaviors that you've picked up. You go into a, 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 a defense mode that appears to be a, an attack and can be taken on board as an attack. You know. <laughs> How's your relationship? You, you, How's your relationship with her now? Um, it's amicable but fragile. You know, and to know that it's fragile, you have to go into those waters. You know, to go. Oh, well, that, that's that's not really a good, cool place. You know, which happy families go there as well. So that that's that's life unfortunately. Yeah, it's 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 scarred that relationship, you know. Is it something that you've had to explain to the child that you have together? Um he luckily doesn't remember much of it, but he has a version. because um, he's grown up around um his mum's support network. So Right. You know. Nobody's a saint. Everybody has their opinions. Everybody has their bias. Everybody has their, their thoughts and their feelings. So that spills into his his upbringing. Um, he's a cool kid, man. He's a cool kid, and he's sharper than any of us realise. You know, discovering he has autism has highlighted a lot of things. Um, one with his abilities, but also watching the product of yourself and recognizing some of the behavior patterns um, and capabilities and the way that little person thinks, you suddenly make sense of yourself. So, so yeah, you know, I understand how he tunes into that situation and how he cherry picks what's palatable. But, but, has, but has he asked you anything about it? Mm, yeah, ver- verification on things, which is... Sobering. <laughs> I'm sure. As, as, as children say, the strangest things I say. So you know, him spinning something out and saying, "Have you ever been to prison?" You know, <laughs> and you, you know, you are. No, I haven't. You listen to the question and the fact that I could have answered that question very differently because of the situation. So yeah. yeah. A lot of people, you know, um, who have been around drum bass for a long time, obviously remember the good looking years probably the most, but you have had an extremely fruitful, um, uh, career since good looking. Um, is there anything coming up on the horizon, uh, that you want to, uh, tell us about, um, that you're particularly excited about? I know you are an experimenter. I remember you've posted gear and you posted yourself using that gear, um, which, you know, I kind of tend to geek out over those little things too. So, um, what do you what do you have on the stovetop? Yeah, I've got, I've got an imprint idea that has, was born out of the Con Natural moniker. It's called Con Natural Music. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, uh, search Con Natural Music label, and I'm on Facebook, and I think I'm on Twitter. I think, 
Um, yeah, I'd love to give myself a good enough kick up the ass to get something out there that that's my flavour, you know. And uh, you know, truth be known, and a lot of people know this, I'm sitting on quite a lot of release worthy content. Uh, I'm just being that nerdy perfectionist, repackaging it, and I should just get it out there. It's close. It's going to happen, I think, in 2020. There's, I'm just kind of calling myself with it now. Um, yeah, well, you said you said it on a on a very you said it on in public now, so now you have to follow through. Kind of, kind of do that, but but also alongside that, I've started working with um, a little fraternity of guys that are diehard, good-looking, atmospheric era fans. I'm not going to just put it under the good-looking banner, but you know, associated sounds. Um, they love that era, but they're also vinyl purists. And from time to time, over the years, these DJs come up and make themselves known to you and go, you know, I love what you do, and you know, I'm a DJ, and I'd love to work alongside you one day. And then recently, these guys have really kind of seen an opportunity that they're like, okay, I'm going for this now. I'm going to ask him, because we want to we want to exploit this sound, and he's the voice. So this crew of guys have kind of come to me, and, and you know, with those sentiments, have said, we want to do this night. And you're the voice for it. Um, we won't do it without you. So we talked and I said, Lord, let's follow, follow our noses with it. I'll lead it as a, as a, as a brand. Um, cause that's the way that you've come to me as it. Um, and, um, let's put together this night. You know, we've, we've, we've spoken a lot about current styles. You know, is there people still making atmospheric drum and bass in that style? And, does it make sense in the current trend pools? Um, is there vinyl being made? How how does the DJ get to follow suit? Is there a scene for it? Um, is there a culture that that works in the bounds of, of dub plates? You know that the actual original dub plate, a dub plate heritage. You know, one of the last DJs to kind of put down dub plates. So to to take this to where it should go that you, you guys feel that you want to go there, how you provided those means. And they've educated me on the vinyl dub plate cutting lathes that are now popular um, and introduced me to the guys at 1800 dub plate, uh, who I've crossed paths with in my whole works with hospital records and clinic talent. Um, so it's good to kind of, revisit that in its new guise and we've put together this night called Resonance which is a vinyl only atmospheric and soulful drum and bass night um, hosted by myself and we are we're, we're currently inviting um, an interesting slice of old and new DJs and MCs to come down and get involved in rotation with some nights that we have planned for 2020. So we're scheduled from here till November next year. We've got a bi-monthly schedule. So every two months we have the last Saturday. I'm trying to keep it away from being an old school night, but I'm not pushing that music out because I know how relevant it is, but I really want to see. Number one, some of my favourite DJs spin vinyl. Number two, let other people have that experience and see that excitement over fresh music, fresh wax. Right. And give these guys 
you know, I, I was always thinking about going out and working with what I call the, the warm-up DJs, the resident DJs, the promoters stroke DJs, the guys that go, look, man, I've listened to you forever and it's my dream to have UMC on my set. I was thinking about going and working with all of those guys and doing a tour based on just that alone. These are those guys, but they've already come up with an, uh, uh, an idea of a night of their own. So we're just, we're just bathing in that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, it, we, we did the first one. We did the first one in November, just gone. Um, and we had PFM as a headliner. Excellent. Um, <laughs> Bring the full circle. Yeah. Like yeah. 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 You know, it's good to link up with Mike again and you know as the weeks were closing in he's slapping about his dub plates and are they going to get cut and what tunes it's, it's a good buzz it's, it's nice to get into that zone again as opposed to downloading is my usb going to work and have they got the, have they got a link and is it fine there that's boring you know yeah that's cool and that's that's that gets you there and it's the current industry standard but it's not where we're from and i think that's important so, you know, I was having a conversation with, um, I hope he doesn't mind me saying, Brian G today um, about the night because I've invited him to come and play. And I said to him, you know, it's a museum, Pete. It's a working museum. Um, you know, no, it's not going to take over the world and become a mass marketed thing again. But I really think it's important for people to be able to see that the working process that built this scene. You know, again, shout out to 1-800 Dubplate because they have offered to support the night um, and give our DJs that play um, a discounted rate for cutting Dubplate. So, you know, they can get down there and, and, and go and cut fresh music and come and play the night as they would, you know, back in the music house, masterpiece, what uh, Heathman's, you know, all these different cutting houses. And also support the, 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 the other labels that are still putting out vinyl, doing small runs and what have you. You know, they can, they can get into that, you know, and it might just spike a little fragrance over onto their labels that they're coming from and their stables that they're associated with in order for people to go, hey, you know, I'm, I'm into vinyl again. Is that, is that track getting pressed up on vinyl? And it becomes like a, a worthwhile question to ask. Actually, shall we do that? And, should, you know, because where we're from and we were one of, the if not the last bastions to put out vinyl and to champion it and for it to still just about survive and now it's having a little heyday moment again that's cool to know that we we caused that you know technic 1200s ain't making technic 1200s again for no reason well look man i uh i appreciate uh your candor and all this um i know that uh, some of the questions tend to be maybe questions you've heard before, or maybe there are questions that a lot of people have, or you know, you're tired of talking about no, them. I've, I've uh, totally shied away from any interviews because I just, I just think for one, I've become a bit of a different spirit and a different soul. Um, I like privacy, and I think we share so much on social media that if you're going to give an interview. You have to have something to go, you know, go and use one of your channels if you want some attention, you know. But if you're going to sit down and have a documented conversation, then there should be something expansive. Well, I appreciate you, uh, 
you expressing your thoughts here with me. It uh, it means a lot as as a guy who as a guy who's essentially been ripping off MC Conrad for twenty years. <laughs> it means <laughs> it means a lot to me. So <laughs> no, I, I think it's important. I think the MC Forum has long been un, underappreciated, and the fact that you bring spotlight to that in modern times is important. And if I have a part to play. I can't avoid something that, that, that celebrates what I do for too long. All right. Well, look, thank you once again. And uh, it's, you, I know it's very late there. So you, uh, you have sweet dreams and you have a very, very happy holiday and a good new year. And you, man. Right. Take care. Bye Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Everybody got a pursuit. Your own chase. Don't let your mind you know? uh. Chase, move, ride if you want it. Pace while I stride in the sonic. Slow funk vibe, how I'm on it. Even sounds better when you light it feeling. Wait, ain't gotta smoke, you can inhale the freshness SG made it easy to spool out these lectures Luxury in the lyric, your misery ditched Your company is now one with the spirit, yo The days of our lives reveal many revelations Time travels and trips along destinations A mind tackles to get a grip on realism The growth through trials will help you gain real wisdom For the better, for the growth comes in swings Heavy be the crown, we still wear them like kings, yeah Coming up in this new chapter to view where they may have found happiness within the pursuit Real warning, fit into your custom It ain't a holiday, but you graduated from something Made a power play at the plenty plans of discussions Now the wine tastes much better from what it wasn't, cousin And while you're feeling like you're living the truth Pour out a little here and there for those who missed the pursuit And while you're feeling like you're living the truth Yeah, pour out some here for those who missed the pursuit Streaks slide in the vision in the portrait depending portion until it's awesome display for audience. Music re record the testimonials. Floss off for orchestration. Please stay cordial. Why you made it this far? You used to think never. Will it end ever? You have to endeavor. Ascend better, begin stellar. Transcending on heavy winds. That's why we write scripts for bestsellers. Now they pick me out in London and Vienna. Blocks build firm, they can't knock like it's Jenga. This is your stage. Sue on for the times and don't forget to love it.
ride if you want it 